God could never forgive me for what I've done. I haven't lived up to what God expects of me. I really don't believe God is for me. In fact, I really think in my heart of hearts he's out to get me, waiting for me to mess up so that he can punish me. Has anyone thought thoughts like that at some point, or am I the only weird one there? One theologian called our passage this morning the very essence of Christianity. It addresses the guilt of condemnation that most of us sitting in this room this morning deal with. Please turn to Romans chapter 8. It's on page 1756, 1756. And if you're able to stand, please do so in honor of God's word as we read Romans 8, 1 through 4. In the book of Nehemiah, Ezra in chapter 8, at 8 o'clock in the morning, read God's word and the people stood in honor of it. And he read till past lunch. We won't do that. But before we do that, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this Lord's Day, not because we're good, but because we're yours. We're your people, and this is your truth. Apply the beginning of Romans 8 to our minds Keep us from being shallow. Help us to be thinking Christians. But don't stop there. Don't stop in our heads. May our hearts be changed. May they be strangely warmed as John Wesley experienced. But don't stop there. Put your gospel truth in our hands So that the fact that we call ourselves Jesus followers makes a difference to the nations and to our neighbors. For if our lives aren't different in how we do life, we're to be pitied and we're all wasting our time being here this morning. Head, heart, hands combined to serve a world that desperately needs you. Father, you know everyone in this room. You know the hard stuff that we bring into this room that we brought this morning through these doors. Above the shouts of condemnation, may we hear your soft whisper of grace. And would you forgive the one who speaks this morning of his sins, which are many. May we see Christ in him alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 8. Hear God's word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do. And that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin and sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This morning, I'm going to address uh, two questions that really uh, stem from the first two verses of Romans chapter 8. First, what is this gift that Paul talks about at the beginning of Romans? And who gets the privilege of opening this gift? What is a gift? Who's it for? First, what is the gift that Paul talks about? Now, the, the core of Christianity is this. God is holy. We don't honor God as holy. We're therefore guilty of sin. We're under God's judgment. God alone can save us from judgment and condemnation. God has saved us from condemnation, from judgment, through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. A summary of our faith. And we're picking back up with Romans from the beginning of the year. We went through the first seven verses, or excuse me, the first seven chapters of Romans, where Paul lays down what it means to be a Christ follower with similar language. If we could lift those up through the chapters, holy God, sinful man, coming judgment, perfect Savior, crucified, risen, justified by faith. And right before Romans chapter 8 and and chapter 7, Paul displays this very real struggle that he has. He says such things like, I'm a slave to sin. Nothing good lives in me. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I do. I want to do good, but I can't carry it out. I'm a prisoner to the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. That's just before what we read in the beginning of Romans 8. And then Paul moves from Romans 7, this language of struggle and wretchedness and darkness, to sum up the gospel message when he concludes, Therefore, in view of all these things, slave to sin, prisoner, nothing good, wretched, therefore, in spite of those things, there is... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the central, foundational message of God to the world. Right there. That's what we announce at Christmas. That's what we preach in the new year. That's what we celebrate at Easter and all throughout the year. No condemnation. That's our message. And Paul talks about how the law commanded and the law condemned lawbreakers. You and me. And the law pointed to a righteousness and a substitute that would someday come. 
But he also points out in our passage that the law itself, the law itself could not remove that sense of condemnation from sinners. From the thought that God's out to get me. From the thoughts of you don't know what I've done. From the thoughts of God's going to punish me. The law cannot, could not remove that sense of guilt that we have. In order to have no condemnation, God would have to do something else or something other than give a law. And what he did is what we experienced at Christmas. God sent his son in human nature as our substitute. On the cross, the suffering son condemned sin. Whose sin? Jesus had none. Not his sin. Ours. All of us were under God's condemnation because of our sin. But earlier in Romans 5 verse 6, Paul says, At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and that's me. What does this mean? We see it in our passage this morning. Look at verse 3. God poured out on His Son the condemnation that we deserved. He condemned sin, my sin, your sin, in the flesh, in His flesh, in His body. As one theologian put it, Christ became what we are so that we could become what He is. You get this sense of exchange. And the way that I can get my head around it, and, and stay with me here, we'll unpack it a little bit, is like this. This is the way I conceive it. What you've done, what I've done, is undone because of what he's done. Let me unpack that a little bit. What you've done what I've done, the Romans 7 life, the slave to sin, the, right, the wretchedness, the what I don't want to do, I do what I don't want to do, I do the God can't forgive me because of my past, the I'll never measure up, the but if you knew me, if you knew my past, if you knew my story, if you knew what I've done, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the humiliation, what you've done is undone. Listen again to these beautiful words. Therefore, therefore, I know your jacked up life. I know what you've done. And there is now, even still, taking that all into account, there is now no condemnation. What you've done is undone. No condemnation by what he's done. What the law couldn't do, God sent his son as a sin offering. Verses 3 and 4. 
Friends, we need to hear this because, again, I'm, I'm assuming some things. I get the sense that we live with what one author called the eternal murmur of self-reproach. Condemnation. And I know that we would live with this sense of condemnation if we really knew our sin for what it was. Condemnation defined here in Romans 8, giving judgment against, passing a sentence upon. I like the way one person described it. Condemnation is a continuous, low-lying black cloud over you. The sense of heaviness. The sense of angst, the sense of struggle. That's what the psalmist in 130 verse 3 gets at. He says, if you, O Lord, counted our sins against us or kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? The obvious answer is no one. We're condemned. We know it. We get it. But he follows that with, But you, with you, there is forgiveness. There's no condemnation. If God counted our sins against us, who could stand? No one. We know. We get it. We're we're guilty as charged. That's why this gift that Paul talks about at the beginnings of Romans 8 is so important. Because it doesn't really matter what your personality is. You may be kind of a a glass half empty, sort of pessimistic, cynical type Eeyore, okay? That may be you. Or you may be a Tigger, glass half full, optimistic, power positive thinking, that may be you. But what Paul's getting at, it, it goes beyond personality or how you're wired, because what he's talking about is a basic, basic orientation that we have as humans. At the end of the day, when we lay our head on the pillow and think about our lives, we know that we can't measure up to God's holy, perfect standard. Those who don't, we say that they have a personality disorder. That's, that's us this morning. So what? So what? What, what, what difference... Does this make in my life here now? You've said a lot of kind of big words, theological words. Let's get practical. And and I'll do that in in two levels. Uh, One level I'll call the salvation level, the big picture. And the other level I'll call the normal Saturday level, the everyday warp and woof day-in-day-out life application. First, from a salvation big-picture angle, why this makes a difference, why this is important, why it's just not theological words. The one who can say you're guilty also can and does say you're good. The judge is also the justifier. 
And it begins and it ends with Jesus. Sin offering. Righteous requirements of the law fully met. Verses 3 and 4. So, so here's where it makes sense to me. Maybe you as well. If you don't justify yourself, if it didn't start with you, if what you've done can be undone by what he's done, if it's on Jesus and not on you, if you didn't do anything to get the gift of no condemnation, then friends, you can't do anything to lose the gift of no condemnation. You didn't do it. Doesn't it depend on you? You can't undo it. Well, what difference does that make? Well, what it means for me is that I'm secure in who I am in Christ. That brings me peace. That is my peace, your peace. It brings you joy. It brings you freedom. It brings you life. And it brings you hope. Yes? you got to wake up. That's, that's, that's big, okay? Secondly, a normal Saturday. What does no condemnation, why does it make a difference in my life? Maybe just a, a couple possibilities. And we could list many, but for the sake of time, we won't. First, when you have, say, sickness, when you have a disease, when you have physical pain, maybe it even lasts a long time. Maybe you don't have the story of a clean scan. The accuser comes... And perhaps like Job's friends, gets inside your head and says, it's punishment. You're under God's condemnation. That's why you're suffering. That's why you're sick. Maybe. Maybe you hear that voice. How do you respond? What do you say? How do you answer? Romans 8.1 Now there's no condemnation. Be gone, tempter. It silences that voice. Again, maybe I'm weird like that. Maybe you don't think that. Maybe you're more spiritually mature. But maybe we fall into that default of condemnation. When there's a relationship strain that may be ended in divorce or there's a strain in a marriage or in your family or a, a, a break of relationship with a friend or even in the church, our church, what do you do with that? How does it make a difference? Where will you find the power to forgive And keep on loving and not returning evil for evil, but return evil with good. How do you do that? You will remind yourself, I will remind myself again and again and again, that even though 
I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. In Christ, God doesn't condemn me and He doesn't condemn you. And therefore, your future is free for everlasting joy. And from that reservoir of hope and mercy and grace, you draw up buckets of mercy for your spouse, for your friend, for that family member, for that colleague, for that neighbor. I was talking with a friend over a Subway foot-long Black Forest ham sandwich some months ago. We'll call him Frank. Frank did some things that changed really the trajectory of his life. Younger guy. He sinned in ways that were obvious to see and had some very real consequences. Still does. And and Frank described the guilt he felt as, he used the language as suffocating, strangling, taking the very life out of him. He said, it was a stink that covered my life. I soaked in it all the while thinking, I can't let anyone know. Maybe some of you have felt that as well. You see... Frank looked around him. He's part of this community and he saw people like us who look pretty good, smell pretty good, like to think we have our lives together. And he looked around and he didn't feel like he measured up. He was afraid because he didn't want to be seen as an outcast because he didn't fit the mold at the time. But he looked me in the eye and he said this over a sandwich at Subway. Life doesn't end when you make a mistake. God works in our lives in spite of our darkness. God uses everything in our lives, every single piece of our lives and wastes nothing. He doesn't waste an experience. He does all things for good for those that love him. And Frank is experiencing that grace and walking in that freedom now. Friends, um, let me get real practical, okay? And Brian was saying how, you know, children learn in very concrete ways. I guess if I remember my developmental psychology course correctly, there's these stages of development and there's, there's concrete thinking and there's abstract thinking. And I think at, at 12 or 10, you move, can move kids from concrete to abstract thinking. Maybe I never got there, but for me, I like to keep it fairly concrete. So with that disclaimer, uh, please indulge me as we close, because I really want to put some wraps around what no condemnation means. And please, I'm a member of Presbytery. Uh, Please don't email them as a result of this, okay? Let's just, can I trust you there? We good? Promise? Raise your hand. I promise not to report you. Okay, good. Uh, I bring this out because as a 10-year-old, when maybe I was moving from 
concrete thinking to abstract thinking. I had a great Sunday school teacher, and I may have shared this before, but to me it's sort of my narrative, my story. And he um, really loved these group of 10 fourth graders, 10-year-olds in his Sunday school class. Um, but, but he told us something that I've really had to work through uh, from 10-year-old to now how old I am now. And, and what he said was, maybe it was a way to keep us in line for those 53 minutes in Sunday school. But he said, everything that you've ever done bad will be put on a tape. And when you get to heaven, that tape will be played before God and everyone there. Pretty scary thought for a 10-year-old because 10-year-olds also had this sense of condemnation like us. And back in the late 70s when I was that age, this was pre-Hulu, this was pre-Netflix, this was pre-Blu-ray players, pre-DVD, pre-VCR even. Does anyone remember Betamax machines? So that's what we had in our house a Betamax machine. And as I thought about this sense of condemnation as a 10-year-old, that, that God takes all the stuff that we've done and, and puts it on a tape, and I envisioned in my mind when I got to heaven that there would be a Betamax machine It may have been a good way to keep 10-year-olds in line, but it was not very good theology. What Paul says is, there's no condemnation. So if there was a label here and it had your name with all your sin, again, let me get real practical. Here is the result of no condemnation. If my fourth grade Sunday school teacher was correct or thought he was correct, here's what God says. Here's gospel truth. Here's biblical truth. Here's truth from Romans 8.1. So, when you hit the eject button and you get to heaven and God tries to play the tape of all your sin... It won't fit. God in Jesus Christ has destroyed your sin record. So Paul calls a sin substitute. To me, this works. There's no condemnation. Friends, the only way that your tape gets smashed is the second part of Romans 8.1. It's for those that are in Christ Jesus. So when God looks at you, He doesn't see you. He doesn't see your junk. He sees, friends, it's big. He sees a glory and the perfection of His Son. Paul says that we are hidden with God in Christ. No condemnation. Tapes erased, tapes destroyed, it doesn't fit. But you've got to be in Christ Jesus. Friends, if you're not, 
I invite you to him this morning. If you are, I say rejoice in that. Leave this place liberated and go to serve Jesus because of what he's done for you. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our sin substitute. You're the one who takes the gavel of guilt and you replace it with the goodness of grace. And you take that tape of our sin and you destroy it. You destroyed it finally and completely on the cross. And because you did, we can therefore have no condemnation. We can have peace. We can have life. We can have joy. We can rest in you. May that great theological truth not stay there theoretically as words, but work its way deep in our hearts. And we would be changed as a result. We pray this in His name. Amen.